We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City on June 4th. We are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest. And then the final event, the Behind the Bangs Writing Workshop. I finally did it, put it together, put together this workshop because I wrote this book in many ways for younger me. And younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught. I wanted the gyms. I wanted I wanted the knowledge. I wanted the education. That's what I would have wanted. So I've decided I'm doing it. And in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn. 15 years. In my 15-year career as a TV writer and author and blah, 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 all the other things I've written, there are six things that I always use, and all of those are in this workshop. So if you have an interest in writing, sign up. All the ticket links are live today. Click the show notes. Click my Instagram. We are coming to a city near you, and there's going to be some meet and greets. I'll sign some copies of books. We'll give out more books, and I have uh, some pieces of merch that I'm taking on the road, and I'm going to give them out at the shows. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This week, we are reading the memoir from Delta Burke, titled Delta Style. And the tagline is, Eve wasn't a size six and neither am I. This is a book about starving yourself to become a beauty queen when you're younger, then daring to gain weight on national television in the 80s, and then being so bullied for that weight gain that you say, leave me the fuck alone in 224 pages. She never did anything else in her life. What a contribution that was. But all of a sudden, because she got fat, it was like she no longer had the right to live in this country. And that's how I feel right now. Boy, drugs, alcohol, cancer, whatever your problems, people are sympathetic unless you're fat and then you're supposed to be ashamed. Everything's set up to tell you that. Magazine covers, clothes. I mean, if you're not thin, you're not neat, and that's it. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of badass celebrity women who have been torn down by tabloids and dissected by social media, all while facing career obstacles, broken relationships, and incredible triumphs, and come out of it all even stronger. And before we get into Delta, let me tell you a little about the Instagram part of this book club because I've gotten a lot of DMs about it. Basically, if you want to follow me on my Instagram at Chelsea Devantes, I am reading the book and recapping it in my Instagram story about two weeks before 
before we record. And it's kind of like a little digital book club. You can send me insights and respond to the stories. And then I take all of that and make the podcast. And if you want to go even deeper, there's a Facebook group. Okay. Delta's book is a doozy, you guys. Delta Burke was hugely famous. She was one of Hollywood's it couples with her husband, Mac, and is most known for playing Suzanne Sugarbaker on Designing Women. But when she gained weight on the show, the world lost it on her. This was in the late 80s, early 90s, and she goes through hell for not being a size six. And there's a huge Designing Women scandal, and she leaves Hollywood and goes and writes a style and beauty book for, quote, real size women. Hence the Eve wasn't a size six tagline in the title. But it's also a book that has her life story in it. It's half glitzy, surfacey fun and half a really deep, complex story. And we're going to dive into it all with my amazing guest, Akila Green. Hi, Akila. Hi, Chelsea. Um, what was so funny is that when I was reading the intro about what the podcast is, I remembered that um, I sent it to you and you helped me create the intro to this podcast. Um, oh, yay. Yeah, I, I, sent, <laughs> I remember uh, that. I sent the description to Akila, and she was like, uh-uh, more, <laughs> more, bigger, better. And I was like, so yeah, when I was reading it, I was like, oh my God. Okay, so Akila is a TV writer who has written for so many things. She wrote on both seasons of HBO's A Black Lady Sketch Show, and you can see her acting in it. She wrote on NBC's Perfect Harmony and so many other shows, like the Emmys, and she wrote for Chelsea Handler Show, and all of John Legend's comedy specials, and she's currently writing on Black Monday on Showtime, and I'm very biased, but I love that show. It's so funny. And also, on top of all of that, Akila just sold her own TV show called Nate's on ABC, and... Before that career, you guys, that I just named, um, she was an extremely fancy lawyer and lobbyist in D.C., and she left that career to be a comedy writer, and she's already a mogul. <laughs> You're a mogul. You are. Okay. So, Akila, um, I introduced all my guests with the story of how we first met, and you and I found out we actually had differing versions of, <laughs> of how we met. So, um, okay, so you tell your version first. So I was in LA and I was writing on Chelsea Handler's Late Night Show, but there were no other Black people writing in Late Night in LA. All the Black people I knew who were in Late Night were in New York. So I DM'd Roy Wood Jr. And I was like, hey, we don't know each other, but I write uh, for Chelsea and I'm coming to New York. And he was like, he's so dope. He was like, I'm going to put together a hang of all the Black Late Night writers in New York. And he put together this hang and Chelsea walks in. <laughs> yeah, not a Black Late Night writer. <laughs> But and um, but Chelsea is the one who I kept in touch with. I, that's so funny because we weren't. It wasn't supposed to be me, and now I've we're like best friends. <laughs> it is true. It's so true. I mean, you know what? I actually need to text Roy and just be like, "Thank you for that." Well, but also that Twitter thing. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yes. So okay. I was in back in LA. Chelsea was in New York, and then I saw on Twitter that she had moved to LA. So I DM'd her and I was like, "Hey, we should hang out." And she, I said, "Here's my number." She texted me and we were, we picked a date and we were like, let's hang out. And then I never heard from her <laughs> until I go to this party. It was like um, a creative Emmys kind of like karaoke hang for a bunch of people who were nominated, a very like late night crowd or whatever. She was outside talking to people. I was walking in, also came solo, didn't know anybody. And like, I didn't quite remember Chelsea's face, but her hair is distinctive. So she was like, hey, I know you. And I just remembered her hair. And I was like, that's Chelsea. And we went in and held, uh, clung to the bar for dear life all night. 
and then have been buddies since. Oh, I love that. You know, I will say I I do remember that we were outside and, you know, I'm going to put this on the podcast because the podcast is about being real. I had just glimpsed a man I had hooked up with and never in my life wanted to see again. And I and w- was sure I never would and had suddenly come to the Zemi's party, saw him and was like, oh, kill me. And then Akila was there like my savior. Um, And yeah, I had I had no memory we had ever made plans to hang out, and I can't believe I delayed our beautiful friendship happening by at least seven months. <laughs> and then, and then she argued with me about this origin story, and then I had to pull out the receipts. Yeah, I was like, "You've <laughs> never messaged me." And then she sent me screen caps. I was like, "I this is my, <laughs> this is horrible." <laughs> but it um, it all worked out, and it's lovely. It all worked out, and we we often talk about how new friends after thirty are a rarity. Like it's just so crazy to have a a very very close friend after thirty. And I'm just constantly bowled over that I found you in life. I know. Um, So, okay. So you chose Delta's book to recap with me. What made you choose this book? So two reasons. One, I love designing women. And I remember just like as a latchkey kid, I would come home and it was part of this lifetime block of female programming. And I just, I'm from the South. I'm from Texas. And like these, they were, the whole premise of designing women was like the new South, like a new progressive South. And like it, in hindsight, I've rewatched the whole thing during quarantine not as progressive, you know, by today's standards, but then, especially as like a Southern church going Christian girl, I was like, look at these women. Yeah. They're entrepreneurs. They're having sex. They got gay friends and like they advocate for HIV positive people. Like it was just like a revelation for me in suburban Houston in the eighties. <laughs> that show's premise was, um, the, the woman who created it was like, put four women in a room and let them talk. And that can be interesting television. Yeah, it was great. They were professionals. They had their own business. Julia Sugarbaker was always going off about the patriarchy. Um, yes. And then, and, so, and I think I, Designing Women was one of my early quarantine watches. And so it was fresh on my mind. And then Delta Burke, who I felt like I knew because of Suzanne Sugarbaker, uh, which I learned I did not know after reading yeah. her memoir. <laughs> um, I knew the premise of her book had a lot to do with weight and like weight is also, and it has been an issue for me, especially as like a curvy girl in Hollywood. So I was like, Oh, that she's got to have something illuminating to say. So that's why I picked this book. Yeah. I, I also, um, I had a really, really intense, um, struggle with weight in my life, kind of like teenager to early twenties. And that was the first time I read this book. So I've read this book three times. Um, but I found it at a yard sale and she talked about weight in a way that like, I really needed someone to be talking about at the time. So when we came back to read this book, I was like, oh, I'm so excited. It had such an impact on my life. And so, yeah, so the, the tagline of the book, Eve wasn't a size six and neither am I, which is also, it's like defending yourself using the Bible. It's just like, I don't think Eve's weight is listed in the Bible. I, you know, I'm not sure we like, n- we don't know that that's true. It's right. like such a funny, like. That is so definitive and matter of fact. <laughs> so Eve definitive and matter of fact. Um I both like love and and hate the framing of the book because she basically is so trashed for having to defend her body and not being thin that the whole book is framed as like, sorry, I gained weight and like you all tried to ruin my life and I'm going to address it. And then I love the book because she talked about this intense struggle and what it's like to have how people treat you when you gain weight. And she gives really deep info of like, what that struggle is like. And so I like love the book, but I'm also like sad her life story is in this framing, but I'm also like so happy because it's like a gift to anyone who struggles. 
And she maintained kind of like this childlike purity and innocence throughout the whole thing, which I thought yeah. was so interesting because I really did think of her as Suzanne Sugarbaker. Like, like, and it turns out like all they have in common is this beauty pageant past, but she's, yeah. but she's, I thought she was like politically incorrect and perhaps conservative and brassy and outspoken. This and broady, she's, yeah. she's not. Which I she's thought was not, surprising. and she's childlike to a fault. And and like so, what another thing in this book is that there's quotes from other people in her book. So like her husband will have quotes, Linda will have quotes. E- everyone has quotes in the book, and throughout the book, people kind of call out like she's a really fragile soul. It's it really takes a toll on her being in Hollywood, and she's like really kind of naive and sweet. And it what's it's what makes her special, and it's also why she p- part of why she struggles so much. It's it's yeah. like a blessing and a curse. Okay, so. The book is dedicated to her Nana and someone who I thought was her friend Blanche, but realized later it's her dog. The book is dedicated to her dog. Um, I'm like, um, for anyone on my Instagram, you know I got a dog during quarantine. As I read this book, I was so afraid I was looking at my future, and I'm I'm positive I am. I'm positive I am. Yeah, like, we're not I'm out of those like, <laughs> oh no 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 no! I think it's coming for me in a really deep way. Um, so let's read page one of the book. I have a thing about crowns. The bigger, the better. I entered my first beauty pageant at the age of 16, and it wasn't long before I began catching on to the fact that some pageants have bigger crowns than others. Those were the ones I'd enter. At times, I was even tempted to call up pageant officials and say, I want to enter your pageant. How big is your crown? (laughs) Um, Okay, so she is a beauty pageant queen and throughout the book she's like borrowing people's crowns she buys bigger crowns to replace the crowns she actually won and will wear those instead (laughs) and she's just like really flamboyant over the top Um, as a teenager she wins tons of pageants her whole family gets on it and she really says it, it becomes like a sport and it's a huge part of the book. Some of the pageant names are like Miss Hospitality and Miss Optimist. And I was like, I not only could I never win a pageant, but like those ones would probably like ban me from the country. <laughs> Have you ever entered a pageant or anything like that? You know, so I I, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Yes, I'm from the South. I have been in a debutante pageant and I'm in a sorority. Like I've done all the girly stuff. Yes. Um, yes. And it's funny because I couldn't, I, I remember this picture of me in a white gown and I had a date and all kind of stuff. And then I texted my mom whose memory is not that great these days. And she rattled off the name and date of this pageant. Like it was crazy. Oh like, my this gosh. This is last night. So like, yeah, so I have done that. But I think. Mm-hmm. I need you to find that picture for me so I can post it. I will it. have Thank to you. find it. Um, yeah, I feel like my mom would have, like I did recitals and all that in, in the cute little red velvet uh, peacoat dress, you know. And I think my mom would have loved that for me and my father was not interested in having that kind of daughter. So I, yeah. he probably saved me from the pageant route. <laughs> I have mixed feelings on the pageants because like this was a resource presented to women. Mm-hmm. A, a, a horrible, shitty resource, but a resource nonetheless. So then when women are like, well, you know, there's not many options. I think I'm going to, you know, try and get really thin when this pageant to try and be an actress as Delta did. It's yeah. like, great. Good for you. I'm just sort of like, good for you. And I'm not really on the side of like, it's damaging to women. It is damaging to women, but it's a resource. And also like some co- weirdly, sometimes progressive things happen in pageants that then bring them to the rest of the world. And it also seemed like she had ag- agency about it. Like she said, she was 16 yeah. when she entered, which is not being like a full, she wasn't 30, but she also wasn't six, you know? She wasn't like a toddler. Right. Yeah. And she said it gave her her identity. And I feel like in your youth, you're searching for anything. And it, there are worse places to search for your identity, less healthy yeah. outlets. And also she seemed to know 
from the outset that this was going to be her ticket out. Yeah, and it was. I mean, pageants for actresses especially. Like, if you want to become an actress and in that year. And I, all the bad stuff it does is, you know, gives her um, crippling weight issues. So, yes, yes, pageants are very bad. But of her options in Florida, this was her option. And she misses so much school doing pageants that to pass high school, <laughs> her teacher's like, all right, um, you do this Anne Boleyn monologue in pageants. Put on that costume and go do the monologue for every single class in high school and we'll pass you. And it's like, what school did you go to where you doing a monologue to your fellow students helped you pass? And like, why didn't I go to that school? Listen, she's not helping Florida out. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> With this description of the education system. <laughs> oh my God, truly. And then she talks about how you know, she started starving for for pageants when she was younger. It messed up her metabolism her whole life and starts this intense war with her body. And, um, you know, on top of that, specific to her weight journey is going from, I am a tiny little beauty queen. That's who she's presented, who then gains weight. And she talks about how tabloids printed things. They're like, oh, she's so fat. Her husband's kicking her out. Radio stations played songs called like like Delta Dawn, how much weight have you put on? Um, I got a DM from someone who worked at a, a radio DJ station during this time. And he was like, oh yeah, every morning the hosts would just rail on Delta. And it, I, I kind of realized like this book was written in 1998. This, that's the same year as Monica Lewinsky um, as that whole era. And she's getting just trashed for not being a size six. And I say specifically a size six because... No size is appropriate for anyone to call you fat. But during this time, Delta's like a size 10 or 12. Yeah. Um, Same with Monica Lewinsky, size 10 or 12. And the world treated those women as if, like, not being minuscule was just a crime they had committed. Yeah. And then the the narrative was also, like, they equated it with her being irrational and violent when she got hungry. Like, not just that she liked to eat, but she was chasing somebody around set because they had cookies. Like, crazy (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like crazy stuff. And like, you know, I, so I gained um, a lot of weight um, my sophomore year of high school. People said horrific things to me about it. And, and I, I truly wanted to die. Like weight consumed every waking moment of my life for about 10 years. So if people sang songs on the radio, like that's how I know the hell I went through just being in my little tiny circle. If magazines were printing what a scary beast woman I was, I I truly cannot imagine that level of pain. Well, add to that the context of at some point she was thin and regarded as a beauty queen. You yes, know what I mean? Exactly. So like, I think that's even different than like, you're just an average Joe who, you know, everybody, you're fine. Nobody has been praising you for your beauty and then yes. your beauty, your beauty has not unlocked doors for you yes. in the way that like she was hired as like the ingenue and the sex pot and all whatever kind of sexy roles like that's what she said she got a lot of those so like if your beauty is in any way wrapped up in your self-worth and how you make money your value yeah Yeah, your money then it's got to hurt even more she's dragged so much that elizabeth taylor reached out to delta and wrote her a letter because elizabeth taylor also and this is something i didn't track i think of elizabeth taylor as just a famous beauty but my mom was like oh no she gained weight and the press trashed her Delta keeps the letter from Elizabeth Taylor yeah. and all the women who write her reaching out in from their own pain and thanking her for just being a woman who was not a size six on television and talking about it is what makes her write this book. Doesn't it seem like she comes from a really healthy place when writing this book? 
Like she seemed to me to to be like telling this tale from a as a person who has it under control, which doesn't mean that like she doesn't have um, down days and like the messaging doesn't get to her, but she has come up with all the coping mechanisms and she has got, like put in place the self-care that she needs. One of them is moving to New Orleans, you know, yeah, like she's put yeah. in place those kind of tools, which I thought was a really healthy place to write the book from. Yeah. I mean, she, yeah, she has a lot of healthy messages, but also I think she's, I, I could still read her being in a lot of pain about it to, to me, but also in a much better place than than when it was happening. Right. That's what I mean. She's not writing from the center of her trauma is what it is. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She's slightly to, to the right of it. Yeah. So then when I was Instagram recapping this, uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say something a little controversial where uh-uh. she says um, when she was younger, she was bullied. And then she goes on to describe a story that's like not being bullied. It's like, a, it's like about a teacher kind of being sharp with you once. And I was sort of like, you know, I think this is me controversial, but I want people to stop using the word bully when it is not accurate because bully has an ongoing power dynamic coercion. Uh It has a goal to it versus when people are mean to you, which which sucks, which also sucks, but it's gotcha. not the same. And I received so many messages from like school administrators and social workers who wrote me saying bullies become this word that parents will throw around and sure. it will ruin another kid's life. Sure. When what they really had was a conflict. Yeah. And then no party learns how to work through the conflict because the word bully has come into play. And I just really noticed the word bully is being used a lot on women. So, like, a woman who's, like, not nice to you or not kind to you, they're like, she bullied me. And it's, like, not right. the same. Just say right. she was, like, a selfish, mean bitch. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and I think like, when you put it in the context, because I feel like it gets applied to children of color even more. Yes, yes. Where, like, any kind of hit of aggression, now this person is a bully, so it becomes, like, not a one-off, but a character issue as opposed yes. to situational. Yeah, I get that. And something that, like, you know, when it's a bully, you're sort of like that, that requires punishment. Whereas if maybe, let's say you are an angry child, well, let's, that's a different issue than, like, I'm purposefully a child manipulating another child's life. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just something that bothers me as someone who <laughs> has been actually bullied. Um, you know, you get very defensive of, like, don't, don't water it down. Okay. So she is like, pageants, pageants, pageants. Then in one light paragraph, she glosses over being molested as a child. She literally writes the sentence, I don't want to make too much of this. What's interesting is that then she kind of talks about how later gaining weight to protect herself from people being sexually interested in her. And that these are some of the most like powerful passages of the book, I feel like. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's, 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 she drops some dark stuff with barely going into I it mean, throughout a, the book. A light gloss. A light gloss, uh, a barely tinted pink <laughs> gloss. Um, I, yeah, but it really speaks to the time period of of writing this book. It kind of made me think of how like Demi Moore never told anyone she was raped, and how Delta, even as an adult, can barely admit she's been molested because for women at the time, and I think still now, it gets turned on you. Sure. It gets turned. It gets turned on you, and like, uh, yeah, I just found it so heartbreaking. And I feel like her. Her not wanting to say it, I don't even know if it's because she was concerned about it being turned on her. I think she doesn't want to grapple with it. Like, that's not part of the story. That's not part mm-hmm. of the life story that she wants to tell. Right. Not even right. Not even that she's worried about other people using, using it against her. She doesn't want to use it for herself. Right. But I, I think that's what I also, also what I mean in the sense of, like, 
part of her story becomes being molested. She doesn't want that to be part of her yes. story. And I, I get that. You know what I mean? You're like, I don't want to be molested as a child. Yeah. It's, not in my, it's not in my goddamn narrative. So kudos to her for including it at all. Yeah. Let me know if I'm skipping ahead too much, but she does the Go same ahead. thing about date rape. But it was like, something happened to me that could be called date rape. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, because it's date rape. That's the name of it. She couldn't even say it. There's also this language she used about like sexual harassment where she would say, a man jumped on me. You're, you're like, I get the imagery, but what did, what happened? And she doesn't want to get into that. No, she does not. And it's very clear that, and and I actually, I, want, I just want to read it right now. It's such a great, great passage. And it spoke to me a lot. I developed double D boobs without realizing it as, <laughs> as a teenager. And you start to get this sexual attention violently thrown at you and it's odd because you grow up wanting that you know that means power you know as a woman being sexually wanted is the best thing you could be but then you're a child and you're like what is this and i don't want this and it's horrifying and it's something you you want but you you hate it and then it's it's coming from older men and um delta talks about how horrifying that can be and how that can lead to um, gaining weight to literally protect yourself from being assaulted. Yeah. I mean, I, I had C's in the sixth grade. And so they came around, And I definitely was scared of boys until like senior year of high school. So there was a gap. <laughs> yes, <laughs> There's yes. a six year gap in there of me being like, <laughs> what do I do? Yes. Um, yes, yeah. And as you pointed out, a lot of that attention comes from older men, which is like mm-hmm. definitely not equipped. I mean, sixth grade boys were a lot. You know what I mean? Oh, so like, yeah. Oh, yeah. An adult man. It's gross and creepy. Just a lot of bad attention. Okay. I'm going to read this passage. I look back on that time from age of 14 to 20, a time of youth, a time of beauty, a time of hope and unexplored opportunities. And upon reflection, I think that like me, most young women are unable to handle that power or deal with the suddenly being fair game in the sexual hunt. Women my age were handed a double whammy in the 1970s as sexual roles were being shuffled and rearranged. Here I was barely 20 years old, emotionally naive and dewy-eyed, living far away from home for the first time in my life. And society was sending messages of like anything goes and in sending this message put the pressure on young women at the time when most didn't have a clue what they wanted and didn't realize they had the power to choose. Ah, and again, like I read this as a teenager and I was like, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I kind of came into like college, late after college with Sex in the City kind of being like women are out here fucking and uh, mm-hmm. not apologizing and one night stands and threesomes and whatever. And like, yes, great. We should be able to do whatever you want to do, but then you have to know for yourself whether or not that's something that is healthy for you and whether that's something that you can handle. And I yeah. feel like, yeah, I feel like I had a lot of friends who were like, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, ah! and I think <laughs> I, I, I'm glad I knew myself enough to know that like, I, I can't, I can't handle this. <laughs> And it doesn't make you less powerful or more powerful. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Okay, so she's 17 years old. She wins Miss Florida. She wins the whole state. She's like one of the youngest women to win. Her mom's advice was walk out there and point one in each direction, which will now be how I enter rooms with my boobs askew. I I wrote that down as well. And then I was like, your boobs don't point. What are you doing? But in theory, in theory, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're pointing at the ground probably for me. Um, 
Okay, so now she's going to Miss America and she's taking water pills and she's starting these really unhealthy diet methods and she doesn't win Miss America, but she takes the Miss Florida money and goes to London to study dramatic acting. She starts taking what she calls black beauties and loses 40 pounds, 40 pounds. Now, please keep in mind, she already won Miss Florida. (laughs) Then she loses 40 pounds and she's just passing out all the time, you know, because it's speed. And um, she's like, yeah, you know, people would find me like bent over in potted plants. So I had to like make sure I had underwear on, but I was a size six. I was a size six and that's all that fucking mattered. It was crazy how she talked about just like waking up in plants and waking up on the bottom of stairs. Like what? It's such an interesting part of the book, the way she casually mentions this, because I had T Mom Z, that's my mom on Instagram, who has the TMZ goss from other eras I didn't live in. So she's T Mom Z. And um, other people DM'd about how their moms, you know, doctors prescribed women's speed. They'd be like, oh, you have a weight problem? Here's some speed. So women are passing out. They're having personality problems. But, it, but it's like from the doctor. And so there's people who's like, yeah, my mom was um, yelling at us for five years every time she took her diet pill because she's taking hard drugs and Delta's right there with it. Which is crazy because it's basically like being a size eight is an illness is what what getting diet pills from your doctor says. (laughs) Oh my God. Exactly. Okay. So Delta is a size six from all the speed she's been taking. She road trips with her Nana from Florida to LA. This really touched my heart because my godmother, Grace, drove me from New Mexico to Chicago when I was 21 to pursue comedy. And I I know she had like a destination to get to and she like took me on this three-day trip and it's such a like memorable voyage in my heart. Like I just remember every single moment of it because when you do that move, which you have done of like I am I am leaving everything. I'm not trying I'm going to try and shift my fate. And I'm going to I'm going to go for my dreams and th- and the voyage you take on that shift There's just so much like hope and adrenaline and and dreams and fears pulsating throughout you that it's like a really special journey. And I I love that her Nana took her and you did that journey to L.A. I did. I I love that her Nana took her, but her Nana stayed. Her Nana Nana moved to Hollywood with her and they were like best friends, roommates, buddies. That is adorable. And I think also part of the reason why she's able to maintain this kind of childlike energy that she has throughout the book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, even as a 20-something, she came out here with a grandmother chaperone. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. My, my move to L.A. is a little different because I was older it was because this is my second career, so I hopped on a plane. Your Nana didn't come with you? <laughs> I hopped on a plane with some savings, and I was like, all right, guys. But <laughs> still, you it know. Was, it was rough when I got here, but it was, yeah. And I came back here on April April Fool's Day. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> which I, which was an accident. My plane got delayed, and I had to spend night in hotel, and I was like, this is not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I did a few of these journeys. I remember when I went from um, New Mexico to New York, which was, you know, a very dumb move on my part. But I was playing um, in, in my little Discman. I, I had a, a burned CD that I, I think that I had um, Frank Sinatra's New York, New York playing. And I told myself if if the chorus kicked in before the plane landed, I was, I was going to make it. I was going to be OK. And? It did not. It, I was like, ah! 
<laughs> um, and it, you know, I still have a love and hate with New York. Um, okay, so before leaving Florida, Delta mails hundreds of headshots. She Incredible. gets an answering service. She puts so much work into I'm um, coming out, I'm coming out and contacting people that she expected responses to be on her answering machine. And there were. And I love that story because there's so many people who are like, oh, it's so hard. And it is hard. But did you do the work? Because if you messaged a thousand people, you probably will have three messages. It was incredible. I mean, one, she said she wrote SAG, which I was not an email, but like a letter to SAG, yeah. <laughs> the Screen Actors Guild, and asked for a list of agents, which is like, is that a service? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? And then sent them all resumes and headshots, which she had to type on a typewriter. Yes. And then she said the number that it went out to was 500 people. Yeah. Like that's, so, yeah. That's really cool. And also, I think like there is a plus to not knowing what you don't know. Like she doesn't know what the path is supposed to be. So she just did what was instinctive and it worked out. Yeah. And like, and, I, yeah. and she did it before she became cynical and got out here and was like, I'm, I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who hate this place and it's not working out for them and letting that energy get on her. Yes. I love that. I love that, that is for really her. great advice. And I, I definitely think back to times in my life where I acted, even even recent times where it's like, well, I didn't know about that. So I just kind of did whatever. And then that paid off for me because exactly like you said, I wasn't being jaded by other forces. So I did the move that worked because everyone else would have shit on the move otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I totally think if I do have a parallel to her coming out here, it was definitely like I was a lawyer and I and like I had listened to some podcasts about how to break it in TV but that's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then I just got on a plane, not knowing anybody like, hey, it's gonna work out. And like that energy did propel me for a while. Yeah. And listen, the cynicism you, caught up with me. This, and you know what? The cynicism gets you, yet you sold your own show this year. It's, a, it's you know, look, the work, it we pays off. We sold our own show. Okay, we both sold shows. Okay, That's right, also right. another crazy thing of Akilah and I's friendship that we sold shows at the same time, which is, it's not like that happens all the time. It's I like know. A, <laughs> like in anyone's life, let alone friends. Um, so we're kind of going through the process together, which is very cool. Um, okay, so then. Delta starts working immediately in L.A. Like Crazy. month one gets a job. Month two gets a job. Month three gets a job. She then in the book, I really love this. She goes through every guest star role she kind of ever had. And there's so many. Like she literally goes on Love Boat three times as different characters. The same show. And then in one of the guest stars, she writes, guess this show. Uh -huh. um, and if you can guess this, get on the Facebook group and drop your guess in Celebrity Book Club podcast because... Kind of all I have right now is that this is Lee Majors was a guest. I don't know. There's an actor, she writes, known for affairs and sleeping with women. It's it's around town. She gets on the show and he tells her, we're going to sleep together and I have an apartment set up. And keep in mind, Delta still lives with her grandma. And she writes, he won't take no for an answer. So she tries to think of what she can say to get out of this. And she says, <laughs> she says, sorry, I can't. I was recently raped. <laughs> <laughs> which is like, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. That is so funny that she was like, all I can do is say I was yeah. raped so that this man won't make me have sex with him. And guess what? He says, I'll help you get over it. It does not work. It is like, I'm sorry, I already have a boyfriend, but like to the nth degree. Like, yes, <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. And it's like, I mean, I find a lot of humor in that because like, it's just so, it's just so hard to be a woman. And that was it her, is. that was and her she, best option. And it didn't work. She dug down deep and was like, this ought to do it. Yeah. And then. <laughs> and it didn't. 
it didn't work. And the tragedy of it is that Delta's later raped. And the, like this, the, that's a lot. That's a lot on this podcast, you guys. What I thought was funny in her description, she's she called him Big Star. Big with B and the S Big capitalized. Star. Big Star told her he was going to sleep with her. And then she ran into him later when she was nominated for an Emmy and she called him Big Aging Star. <laughs> oh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah. And she goes, she was nominated for an Emmy and he ignores her. He pretends to not recognize her. And she goes, what do you know? This week's meet just made the big time, which uh, I love that. I love that. So um, we're going to take a little break. But when we come back, Delta gets the show that changes her life. And you know what I'm talking about. It's the show Designing Women. Sibling fights are unavoidable. But what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life. And I can't believe it, but I got to write my own. And it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains, but you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role, and we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book, it matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Welcome back. Okay, so this is how Delta ended up on Designing Women. Her big break is that basically she does a show with Linda Bloodsworth Thomason and Dixie Carter. It's full of kind of like soap opera energy and Delta wears a Dolly Parton dress with which helps her get the part. And doing that show later makes it so that when Linda is doing Designing Women, she brings Delta on. And it's so weird because Delta's like, I joined the show. Yay. But Linda's quote in the book is that the network in the studio didn't want Delta, like fought against her and Linda fought for her. But Delta doesn't talk about her own feelings on that. Yeah, she said she got swapped out like the night before the show started. Yeah. So now I would now I want to know who who was her who did she swap out? 
I know who was that other actress. And also how painful to get kicked off a show that then becomes a huge iconic success. Uh. Nothing worse. Love this business. Okay, so she thanks the ensemble of designing women. So so the way we're looking at this is it this was a huge scandal. Delta is going to get fired from this show and uh later leave Hollywood and kind of never really has her comeuppance again. And this is the moment after the scandal she's writing about it. She thanks the whole ensemble for teaching her comedy. Yes. But she only calls out Jean Smart and Misak Taylor uh, for being her friends. Those are the people she really misses. Wait for it. Jean Smart, Misak Taylor, and many of the prop and wardrobe people. Oh, so she wanted to be clear that she skipped over. You know what I mean? She could have left it at those two. She wanted to be clear that she skipped over Dixie Carter and Annie Potts. <laughs> yeah. And what is especially crazy is that when Delta got married, Dixie Carter is her maid of honor, her maid of honor, and is not even thanked as like a nice friend now yeah. at this point in the book. Like that's yeah. how bad it gets. I'm also, I've got to say, as someone who's been a live performer for a long time, like the way she issues those thank yous makes me think Delta was a psycho on that show. Well, that is what I think was interesting about her whole tenor in this book is that (laughs) she even said, because I love the show enough that I watched the Designing Women reunion show that came out maybe 10, 15 years ago. It's available on YouTube. And in that, they're all getting along, whatever, but they all agree (laughs) that Delta had lost her shit. And Delta, so it's interesting that in the telling of this book, which I think, I don't know the dates, but I assume that this, this is came 1998 out, when she's writing. But this. I don't know when that reunion was, but it, this came out yeah. before that. So yes. in this version of in, in the book, she wasn't wild. She didn't do anything wrong. No. Yeah. But then yes. <laughs> it comes out later. It comes out later. And I will say there's sent, she does include some sentences that we will call out where she is owning what she did on the show. But okay, so well, let's get to that. So one <laughs> so so Delta um, starts to put on weight on Designing Women. So she's this tiny little beauty queen, books the show, becomes a huge star in the first two seasons. Then she starts to gain weight. And people hate her for it. She casually was like, yeah, so then I tried crystal meth for a while to lose weight. It was crazy. <laughs> it's so, And here's what's so crazy about it is that there are other parts in the book wh- where she'll say, I went to a party and there were drugs on the table and it, I, it, I was so scared that I had to leave the party. And it, that's, you know, I'm not part of that world. But she's talking about crystal meth as if it's an, an elite diet pill. And she's like, yeah, and then I started hallucinating on it. So I had to go off the crystal meth. So it's like, yeah, of course she went crazy on the show. She's on crystal Crystal meth. meth. And like that really just is an indictment on the whole industry. Like she's like, I'm not doing party drugs and recreational drugs. Like that's not for me. But in order for me to save my livelihood, I guess I will try crystal meth. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) How intense. And and it goes with all the other women who took these crazy hard drugs to lose weight. Um, She says, the thing when I look back on footage from that time is that I was a goddess. And it's true when you watch this. I mean, she's a goddess. What she's she's not a size six, but she's she's stunning. And and it's so weird that you would ever think that anyone would look at her and not think that, especially herself. And she says all she felt at the time was how ugly and fat she was. And I think we've actually, like, talked a lot about this of, like... A lot. Yeah, of, like, <laughs> of like you know, everyone is allowed to think, like, okay, I, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I don't want to take photos, whatever, da-da-da. 
But every time I have a time in my life where I'm like, I'm a hideous beast and 10 years pass and I see a photo from the day when I wanted to die from how ugly I was, I always think, how could I have done that to myself? Yeah. Like, I just see like a sweet woman who's stunning and gorgeous. And so... In, in my present day, every time I'm like, no, I'm too blah, blah, blah to do to ugly, fat, whatever, to take a photo right now. I always think like, that's that's not true. It's not true. You will look back on this time. You'll be angry you treated yourself this way and you have to do it, wear it, live it right now. Yes. And so Chelsea has <laughs> fussed at me. I'm going to use the word fuss. Chelsea has that's a nice fussed word. at me, especially over quarantine. I mean, yes. <laughs> the context of it is like, um, I'm on dating apps and Chelsea was like, why are you wearing a cardigan in your dating app profile? Which is a very <laughs> valid question. And <laughs> I have cardigan energy. It's just what it is, what it is. But, um, and she was like, let me take a, let me do a photo shoot for you. And she's been saying this to me since I want to say February. Yeah. And, wow. Yeah. And I was like, no, like, let me lose 10 pounds. Mind you, I'm only gaining. <laughs> As we all are. Yeah, I'm not getting any closer. So I really am just like delaying this photo shoot. And she just like would not get off my neck about this, which I appreciate (laughs) in hindsight. Um, And I think I used the word bully, which I know she hates. But I was was like, like, me. that was in a joking context. And I do accept I did. I did lovingly bully you into doing this photo shoot. I accept. No, and I and I'm grateful for it. because So so Chelsea, like literally was like, I'm picking out clothes for you and I'm going to send you the card. And you tell me like, this is what I want for you. And then Chelsea bought the clothes. Like she was like, I'm not hearing from you. And then she told me which lingerie to buy. Cause she was like, <laughs> you got to put your girls out there. Cause they're great. And so anyway, I'm just saying this to say that like, there were so many quotes in this book where Delta's point is I felt like shit then when I looked great. Like I didn't have a, the right perspective about my body. I'm hearing all these voices. And when in reality, like objective reality, She's known as one of the most gorgeous women in Hollywood. You know what I mean? Yes, so. yes, yes. Objective scientific reality is you look great regardless of how you feel. So stop treating yourself that so way. It, yeah. So it made me think about this photo shoot that we did in quarantine in a heat wave. Outside. We got tested for this, you guys. We like, we, we get got tested time. and we still had to wear masks and we were outside and I changed into multiple outfits outside. Yep. But I came out with like these really great pictures. I'm not going to lie. They are stunning and when you go and because i am going to post these on the story when i post a podcast akila you're going to be like i can't believe akila's hard on herself either they're they're unreal photos and yes i took them and my side job is thotting you up yes thotty photog (laughs) thotty photog um she she hits that theme a ton of times in this book and and it made me think about you every time we're like it is true and then i look back like you know now like i took those pictures maybe three months ago and like three three months in quarantine like you know, I'm not as tight as I was back then, which is okay. And it's all good. But I'm saying like the idea that I'm waiting on a moment and I wasn't yes. hot then is yes. like, it really, this book kind of drilled that home for me and, and is like the message that I would like to internalize. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, you know, it's so funny. I'm only now putting it together. I read this when I was a teenager. It must have really gotten in me because then I yelled it at you all quarantine. So <laughs> but I, I really, I think like, yeah, I really did. Whoops. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I really do think like it, it's not about what you physically look like. The message is that whatever moment you think is coming is never coming for you. It's never coming for me for you. And you know, there, there was a time in my life where I like got real, real thin. 
guess what? Missed the moment. Was still thought there was more yes. to do. It, so it just it just doesn't matter. It never matters. There's no size. There's nothing. That moment is never coming. You have to celebrate yourself now and get your boobs up with the right lingerie. <laughs> yeah, with a red peekaboo bra. Um, it was a red peekaboo that you fought me on, but I won. I it won. Was, it looked fantastic. Um, but what in that vein, one of the tips she gives, she gives a lot of, a lot of tips in this A book. lot of tips. But one of the tips was like, don't buy things that are a size smaller in the hopes that you're going to get into it at some point. Yes, yes. And I've got a whole closet. <laughs> yes, a whole oh, closet yeah. of like really flash it for the day when I... <laughs> Same. I all I Whenever used to do that, that to myself is. all the time. My, my mom was smart enough to be like, don't you do it. And I was don't like, nope, it. I'm buying this dress in a size because it'll be it'll feel better when I throw it away, when I just throw the money away and never put the dress yes. on. Um, yeah. She gives a lot of tips in this book, and they're really coming in the back half of the book because it's a again, it's a style book. It is. Um, okay, so Delta is uh it's 1986. Designing women is is really at its peak. Delta goes to parties holding scripts to let people know she's a very serious actress. She is in her 30s and still lives with Nana. Nana never left. Like, every moment, Nana is there. And she basically hears rumors she's going to be fired if she doesn't lose weight. And so she's going to adult weight loss camps where she, like, brings feather boas and they all wear them on the treadmill, which is, like, the saddest image I can think of of, like, trying to make it fun. And she does every diet in the world. Same, same. I've done so many. The Zone, Atkins. So sad. It's so sad. Well, okay, so she's living with Nana. She's going on diets. Casually drops that she was date raped. Uh, won't even call it that. And then she's like, dating's really hard in LA. She, you know, for all these reasons, she meets Gerald McRaney. Twice divorced. He has kids. He's a solo bachelor. Uh, he kind of he goes by Mac, and they fall in love. They really bond over being from the South. He's the guy who he's major dad. It's that actor. He's also the doctor on This Is Us, and they become a Hollywood it couple. And when I was reading the book, every time I've read the book, I've always been just like in love with them. This time, my feelings got complicated. This oh. time, I was like, I love him. And by the end of the book, I. I don't know if I love him, which oh. I think is, I know, I know. Um, We'll get into it. They are still together. They're yep. still together, you guys. He supports her. He loves her. He adores her, especially with all this weight stuff. The whole world is being like, she's a fat, ugly woman. And he's like, marry me. I love you. You're perfect. And she finally feels, quote, safe to be me. And he asks her to marry him on the second date. She says yes immediately. And they go to the diamond store and she says, show me the big fat diamonds. And the woman's like, we don't call them that. She's like, give me the fattest diamond you have. Um, they get married. Dixie Carter is the maid of honor, which I want to say, where are your other friends? What do you mean you got married and your co-star of two years is your maid of honor? Like, like wh- Delta, where are your other friends? And she really does not reference having a good friend, a best friend, a sister. I mean, she no. talks about having a sister, but like not like, there's no close girlfriend in this book. Sisters in the book once, mom and Nana, r- huge support team. And then, yeah, a woman she knew for two years is her maid of honor, which I, you know, I think that's, again, kind of going back to like Delta. What were you up to during this time? Perhaps she wasn't being <laughs> super nice to fellow ladies. I don't know. And she she made sure we knew that she wasn't dating a lot during this yes. time. I will yes. say there was one quote from Linda Bloodsworth Thomason who said, but even at her most most beautiful, it seemed that women liked her even better than men did, which is unusual for gorgeous women. So Linda has corroborated the idea that maybe she was nice to women. Oh, I like that. Good. Because that's yeah. what I want. That's what yeah. I want. 
Um, but yeah, I did. I, when I was like, oh my God, she's her maid of honor. And then I was like, wait a minute, you've known her for two years. Was there nobody else? Uh, can I can I go slow walk a little bit through their meet cute and their courtship? Because yes. I thought it was oh, so great. So please. she says um, this quote that I feel like was is so me, her philosophy on dating before she met her husband. If I can't have what I want, I would just as soon not have anything. <laughs> that is very you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a loner anyway. I like being alone. And unless I can share my life the way I want to share it, then it's wasted time to me. Which I thought was like a really healthy outlook for somebody who was 30. Yes. And 30 and 19, whatever this is, is an old... Is 70. <laughs> yeah. yes. 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 And I and, and I actually believe she believed that. You know what I mean? She wasn't just like hyping herself up in the mirror for that. And then she says... She met her husband at a press luncheon at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And she says, and then I met him. It was simple. Right off the bat, I knew. And I love that. I love yeah. that story for her. And then, of course, because I watched the YouTube reunion, <laughs> the Designing with Re- Reunion on YouTube, she tells a story about after their first date, I think they were on the lot because he played her husband on the show after they met. Yes. They'd met once and she felt something. Then he gets offered the show and he says yes immediately because he knows he gets to see her again. And they ask her to lunch. They go to lunch and maybe hang out in their trailer and look at pictures of plantations or some shit. They 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 really bond oh, over plantations. That's uh, a <laughs> Akilah, I've been avoiding this part of the book. Um, yes, she's like I have a book of plantations in my dressing room. And and then when you get to the photo section, it's like here's us at a plantation. Here's us at a plantation. Yeah. Here's our wedding at a plantation. And you're like. <laughs> what what is happening? They yeah. they really bond over like old school Southern stuff, which is tough too because there's a photo in the book where she's wearing um, a Confederate flag hat. I missed it. I did too. So so I posted it. I was like, <laughs> look at this amazing green dress. Oh, and wow. Sierra, who was a guest on episode two of Demi Moore, was like, zoom in, girl. That is a oh, Confederate wow. flag on the back of that hat. And I was like, no. Which is in keeping with who I thought she was, even though she does not glo- she does not mention politics or beliefs no. or anything like that. Um, but she says in the reunion that they went on the, the lunch, they're coming back to set, and she says, hey, can we go behind this bush or sign or something? And can you just lie down on top of me? Wait, what? This is what she says in her reunion, the reunion special. It was their first day. They go to lunch. <laughs> she says, just lie down on top of me. And he did. And like, and then they got married. And when I, it sounded crazy when she said that. It sounds that. crazy now. It sounds crazy now. But when you go back over the, when I read this book and I see how like childlike and not in, used to dating and stuff that she is. She just it, wants to be close to him. Yeah, she just wanted to feel him. <laughs> I don't. It was anyway. It was a very interesting detail for their meet cute in their first date. That also kind of makes me feel like she was about to say, you know, after our first date, I was like, let's do it. I, I want to feel that dick. Realized she'd started the story and was like, I don't want to tell this, and said, lay on top of me. <laughs> no, I, you I think don't think so. I don't okay. think so. Okay, that is weird as fuck. It's weird as hell. But listen, here they are. Here they are. And I will say several times in the book, there's st- there, several times in different ways. There are stories about how she did something like uh, dress up like a stripper, put tassels on her boobs or, or strip tease to seduce him. And her mom's a part of it. So like it's like one of them is like her mom came up with the idea. Another one is like her mom distracted him while she went to put the tassels on her boobs. They get stuck. And, you're, you're, and it's a very. <laughs> it seemed like her. she needed her mother to coach her on how to. To keep her man. And I think that's why, 
Okay, we'll come back to, to my complicated feelings on him later. Let's let's yes. bask in that beautiful okay. love story. You called yes. out some really great parts that I'm I'm glad you did because I I missed those. Um, okay, so she's feeling happy and safe, and then in this marriage, she gains more weight because she's she's feeling loved and okay, and like I don't have to keep torturing myself. And the press rips her apart. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger until she has a nervous breakdown. And what's funny about it is that she has a nervous breakdown. She also makes fun of it. She's like, oh, God, I had a Hollywood nervous breakdown. She says, um, it's human nature to love when a celebrity fails mm-hmm. and love to see when a pretty happy person gets knocked down. But this was plain mean. And it just it just really ruined her. And I, I hope that's what's changing now with celebrity is is like, I don't know. It's just like. It's not. You're right. <laughs> Why did I even start that sentence? It's but, not. And I'm not here to be like, oh, my God, please be nice to these, like, rich, famous people. It's just sort of like, I guess I at least hope the, the weight stuff is changing. It's just like, her body's not yours. It doesn't belong to you guys. She talks a lot about how she has learned that her comfortable weight is about a 12. That's easier to maintain. It feels right. She feels healthy. And then trying to get down below that is when it gets dicey for her. Yeah, and basically, she's gaining all this weight and all this weight. She's gaining, I don't know, probably five pounds. Whatever she's gaining, press is trashing her, and she goes to Linda. She's like, I need to talk about the weight. And it's basically because of the time period we're in. You're just, a woman's not allowed on TV at that size unless she's a horrible joke. And here Delta is starring in the show, and she's like, let's address it. And Linda's quote in the book is, if you are a beautiful woman who gets fat, You are treated like you murdered a bus full of children. And that's still extremely true today. So basically, she has this breakdown. And then she's like, write me an episode. Linda writes one of the most iconic episodes of television ever called They Shoot Fat Women, Don't They? And it's an incredible piece of TV for the time. I went back and rewatched it. Really, really enjoyed it. And um, it was nominated for an Emmy. Oprah writes Delta a note. They're, They're talking about weight in a time when women do not get a nuanced conversation about it. And it's on a primetime TV show. And from there, she breezes over getting fired. And, but at the time, it was a massive scandal. It's in the press everywhere. Um, where and she's like, oh, me and Linda weren't talking to each other. We were talking through reps and managers. We should have been talking directly to each other. And I was asking to be let out of my contract. And, and, then, um, and then they let me out of my contract. What really happened is that like they talked some shit about each other in the press. Delta sued Linda. She sued her, her own showrunner. Um, I missed and, that part. Yeah, she well, because it's not in the book. Um, and <laughs> she didn't put that in the book. No, right, she was right. like, oh, yeah, we just weren't talking to each other. And then I was let go. No, no, no. Like Delta made a bunch of demands. I think I think maybe her husband was involved. It, it's all very unclear. But she becomes possibly so difficult on set that Linda right. doesn't put her in an episode. Then she sues Linda and is like, how dare you not put me in an episode? And they're like, but you're making all these demands we can't meet. Again, It's it, we need the scientists to come on and figure this out. Possibly, Mac, this is, this is where I had complicated feelings about him. Okay. Did he kind of take over her career and become a little controlling? Because this is all happening after their marriage. And then in the book, he gets the message that she's been fired. He turns to her and he's like, sorry, baby, they didn't renew you. And it's like, why did he know? This is a tiny part in the book, but it's like, why would he be the one delivering this to her? I will say this is pre-cell phone days. It's not like somebody texted her to her cell phone, But then phone, that means right? her agent is calling him? 
or the landline. I don't know. I, I hear you. I hear yeah, you. You make- bumped on this and then it has tainted your entire view of their marriage. And I get it. Um, it did. What, yeah. what I will say is that I that we both read this article in Grantland that talked about details that the book didn't include about what happened with Delta's firing. And one of the details was that tabloids basically said that her husband loved her too much and gave her too much confidence. And so she started getting demanding and had a big ego on set, which I personally think is a dream. <laughs> I would love, I would love my husband being like, okay, fuck those people. You tell them I would love it. <laughs> so, oh my God, you're so right. Nothing but a positive, especially in a world where she's like only been trashed. Um, And I do think uh, when I think about why Dixie, her, her relationship with Dixie deteriorated, it's, it seems like, you know, it's a, it's a show, it's an ensemble of four. And I, it like seems like she wasn't showing up when she needed to and was difficult on set and like wasn't a team. I, I read somewhere where like they had to be prepared for her not to show up on set. So they had to be yeah. able to do I mean, their that's... scenes multiple ways. And I feel like for Dixie and Dixie is a little bit older at this time, like you know, her career is closer to the end than Delta's like, don't fuck up her money. Yeah. Don't come in oh, here yeah. showing up late and ruining the shot. Like, I need this show to go. I can see how I I would be pissed. Yes, I can. I'm I'm actually fully on both their sides. And I feel like in my career, I've probably been more the Dixie, you know, where it's like, if you can't like be be ready and, and emotionally strong enough for the job, like that's part, part of being strong enough to be in this career is that you have, you get the shit beaten out of you emotionally. You got to stand up again but also on delta's side people are playing songs about how fat she is she wants to totally. die every day she's on crystal meth like totally. she didn't show up um okay so she's she's kicked off the show designing women kind of tanks after that it has a couple more seasons but it, it's it's never the same uh season six and seven oh my gosh they were terrible to the point where i got to seven and i just didn't even bother to finish the finale I just oh my god that's <laughs> really bad that's really bad well okay so then she goes on she does the sitcom delta she's gained more weight she dyes her hair fully blonde to try and get away from the designing women thing and the show is panned by critics and seen as like poor delta and her big fall from grace then after all these years in 1995 linda's like Delta, I want to work with you again. And she redoes her character, Suzanne Sugarbaker, in a show um, where, like, the character goes to Washington that apparently Linda wrote kind of defending her close relationship with the Clintons. And then in the book, she's so proud of this progressive speech Suzanne gives that she prints it in the book. Whoo, I've never seen anything age worse. I mean, <laughs> I'm not even going to, I'm not going to read it, not going to touch it. Ages horribly. I watched Women of the House that's what it was called, Women of the House, at the beginning of quarantine because it's on Amazon Prime. And I was super excited. I was like, oh, I'm going to get my designing women fixed. And it was horrendous. 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 Yeah, horrendous. It, it was real bad. And then, to bring it back to bullies, um, this is the part where I think Delta takes accountability in the book without us realizing it. She says, in therapy, she learns that low self-esteem can make you a bully. And she's talking about herself. She's saying she had such low self-esteem that she became a bully. And I will also say that's very true about all the all the bullies I know. A- everyone who's a bully that I know is is crippling in pain inside. And, and I think this is the apology in the book if there is one. I miss the fact that she was talking about herself. Well, I she said she's basically talking about having low self-esteem the whole time. Then in therapy she learns they can be bullies. It's like, yeah, you're talking about yourself. I, I thought I had it written down because uh, we talk a lot about what I call toxic toxic insecurity, mm-hmm. where there are people who are just so insecure that they become dangerous to others. Yes, we do talk about that a lot. Um, but, um, but 
Well, it was in the paragraph about uh, helping others help you, where she talks about how when you lose weight or gain your confidence or become more empowered, the people around you have to shift because they're not used to that version of you. And as a result, they will lash out. So that's what I thought that was about. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, yeah, it could be both. She also taught, this is where she talks about how Mac being really supportive, but also controlling. And he loves to be her caretaker. She says, every time I get stronger and would kind of um, not cave to him, it would shake mm-hmm. their relationship and said, she re- I read this multiple times trying to figure mm-hmm. out if this is what she was saying, but she says she had to learn to back down. And that's where I was like, it went. Um, maybe I don't <laughs> love them. Then, okay. Then she starts, now we're in the tip section of the book. Tips and lists on lists on lists. She talks about journaling. She gives you a journaling questionnaire, meditations. She very slyly mentions that meds help her stop panic attacks. This is 1999. She's she's destigmatizing the meds mm-hmm. I probably take right now. I love that. She's like, peplum, leggings, peplum, leggings. <laughs> Change the buttons on things, which is something my mom used to do for me too. And she's getting into Delta Style and her style line, which are clothes you can still, like, it doesn't really have a p- place but you can find them at like a ross and, and on amazon yeah yeah you can still find it um and then she literally has makeup tutorials written out and i was like this is so funny there must have been women back in the day who were like i learned to put my makeup on reading a paragraph in a book with no fucking pictures <laughs> listen this is pre-youtube tutorials. pre-youtube <laughs> tutorials i felt for it tea bags under your eyes mayonnaise as a hair conditioner i did that with my mom a lot how to make a hair rat and then the one tip that she had and i promised i would tell the story in the podcast so i have to do it is she right. talks about Take a shopping companion with you to stop you from making purchases you shouldn't make or to help you negotiate if you're very bad at doing that and trying to find deals, which is, which I'm horrific at. So I have been taking Yasser's mom, Vicky, every time I have big shopping things, she's my shopping companion. especially oh, Yeah, especially if we're going to like a flea market or anything like that, like Vicky has to be there. So when Ashley took me as her date to the Emmys, um, I... We went to Santee Alley, and Vicky helped me, like, haggle for my dress, and it, it was, like, a $100 dress that I want to say looks pretty expensive, but then we get to the part of needing a purse, and Vicky and I are going around looking for purses, and I fall in love with this bag through the window that is an amount of money. I'm so embarrassed to say that I cannot bring myself to say it, but it is a designer purse. It's, it's, if, it's so much money. Vicky is like, you have to buy this bag. You have to buy this bag. And I was like, no, I cannot. Like, teenage me will not let me buy this bag. No one spends this amount of money on something. Then this woman, she's like, you know, when I was a single mother with three children, I waited for these Peacock Kohl's high heels to go on sale every week of my life for four months till I could buy them. But had I had the money and been your age, sure wish I could have bought myself something nice. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Here's my credit card. Here's my credit card. So... I buy buy this purse and she's like, you have to tell yourself and you have to tell the universe that you are worth nice things and you can give this amount of money away because it's going to come back to you and act from a place of abundance. And she was like, this purse will bring incredible things into your life. And I was like, well, it fucking better because it's every dime I have. (laughs) So take it to the Emmys. Uh, Love it. Great. Lots of compliments. I, of course, take this purse to every event. I've ever gone to every event I've ever gone to. This purse goes with me and I lead with it. Like everybody, this is a purse. <laughs> I know, you know the purse. purse. <laughs> I bring it to everything. So we're now flash forward to this. Um, I think it's like a Christmas event for Showtime for Yasser. And um, 
we're we're about to go down the red carpet. I have this purse on me. And I think to myself, you know, this purse is in every picture I've ever taken in my whole life. I'm going to try and hide it behind Yasser's back because I'd like a I, there should be one photo where I'm not clutching to this purse. So I don't know what happened to that night. I don't know if no celebrity should. I don't know what happened. But we're going down the red carpet where I am usually treated like some um, prostitute Yasser found on Instagram. Like, and I will say partly is because I dress I dress kind of slutty. I do. When I it's time for me to get dressed up, like if I want to show almost every inch of my boob, I totally will. Because this is my life. I've there suffered enough. I'm gonna do it. So, do it. but because of that, and because I'm a TV writer, people don't usually know that. So they're usually like, who is this? And I I get really ignored, and people um, treat me like trash. So, granted, I know this is a red carpet story. That's annoying. I swear I'm getting somewhere good. So we're going down the carpet. I'm hiding the purse behind his back. <laughs> this woman photographer is like. Show us the purse. You're not supposed to hide it. And she's like yelling at me. She's like, you're supposed to show the purse. Take it from behind his back. Hold it out. And I was like, oh, okay. I love this. I was like, are you serious? Like, no one has ever cared about me. And she yelled it at you. She's yelling it at me. All the photographers are like, show us the purse. So I pull this purse out. There is a series of photographs on Getty Images that we'll post of me and Yasser because we're laughing. We're holding up the purse. He's pointing at it. <laughs> where you know the woman is like, "Can I get a close-up shot? Can you tell me the design?" What is happening? I do not know. She's like, "Who designed the purse?" I was like, "Okay." So okay, all this exists because of this. Um, people who have who have known for a long time, this woman photographer obsessed with the purse gets my name and she gets my writing credits. I by the time I walk into the party, people who've ignored me for years as yesterday's girlfriends are like, "You're a TV writer? Let's get dinner." And it and uh I'm never my name's never listed. My name we end up in articles wow. online of like Yasser Lester and Chelsea Devantes at this like Showtime thing and this is who they were talking to. <laughs> and I'm like, "Y'all, wow. this is a mistake from the purse that Vicky made me buy." I love that. Isn't that crazy? That's a great story. Anyways, that's that's great. The Delta has a tip that I wrote down that's in that vein. Um, remember too that shopping for bargains can be time consuming and time is money. <laughs> and like I enjoy that. As a person who I just moved into a house and I am furnishing with and like it's a lot of time to do consumer research. And I'm just like, give me the top of the line shit because I'm going to hold on to it for the next 10 years. And I, I, I wish I had what it takes to know how to like, like, for example, I want a bright yellow eight foot picnic table in my backyard. Yeah. And, oh, I love that. And, but like somebody knows how to like find the wood from here and find a guy from there and then source the paint yourself. And I'm just like, I'm going to click on a button <laughs> and I would like, and I would like it to show up at my house <laughs> and, and, and Delta affirmed me <laughs> in my decisions making. And so I appreciated that tip. I like her. that. Yeah. There's a lot of tips in there of like how to shop that honestly made my brain spin. I couldn't get through them all, but there's some good ones. There's another one I like that said, give yourself a pep talk on a regular basis. And she said she pumped herself up in her dressing room on designing women uh, by standing in the mirror and chanting, I am a star. I am a star. I'm a star until she began to believe in herself again. And I thought that was interesting because I don't know that it would work for me. <laughs> oh, well, I think you should try it and find out. I don't know that I could do it. <laughs> she also did end up, as we said, maybe doing some crazy shit on that show. So I don't know if that's the best chant. Right. I think it should be like, I have value in life. I have value in life. <laughs> yeah, I, it was one of those where I was like, ah, how funny. 
there's something to glean from that, but I don't know if that's it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Okay, so Delta moves to New Orleans. She leaves Hollywood. The book is written from there. She's kind of talking about, like, getting out of that life and how she's happier. There's a lot of pictures of plantations. It really uh, was upsetting. And, you know, if you know anyone who had a plantation wedding or know anyone who's still having one because they're still popular, I just urge you to check out the Instagram story of Delta Burke's book where I really shit on them and uh, really went into Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively's wedding at a plantation. And, and um, you know, it's not good. It's not good. Yeah, there's such nostalgia that Southern people have. I mean, it's the same with monuments and flags. And you know what I mean? Like they have somehow wrap their mind around it being just a normal, natural thing to cherish and hold up. What I love is like, you know, they'll have the arguments of like, we need to keep our Confederate statues up because it's a history lesson and we have to remember what happened. And that's the same argument they tried to use for plantation weddings because there's no real argument. So they're like, these can be sites of education. And it's like, really? For your wedding? You want to <laughs> be walking by the slave cabins? Like, God right. bless. Um, right. Okay, so then... She got a lot of dogs, you guys. She's got like four dogs. The dogs are everywhere. She's got bunk beds for the dogs. Um, she adds a bird to the mix. Which she was, baked a cake for the dogs. Oh my gosh, she baked a cake for the dogs, wear hats. Um, she has portraits of the dogs and a lot of quaint, it's a lot of quaint leaving Hollywood writing. And what I found most interesting is that she says she is less bold now. And most memoirs have the arc of I became a stronger person. Delta's has. Hollywood broke me. Um, I am less bold. I am more afraid. And I'm putting my happiness back together slowly in New Orleans away from all y'all. And um, she then says weight will always be an issue for her, which again is sad, but honest. And and the honesty, honesty is what I loved. Like, yes. And she says she is focused on something in her life. When she's focused on something in her life that makes her happy, that's not on her body, that's when she's at her healthiest. And I know that's true for me, too. No diet sure. ever worked as well as me getting happy by caring about other things. Again, like, the honesty, I think, is more impactful than pretending um, a truth that isn't there. Can I also attempt a reframing? Yes, please. Okay. So I, when she says I realize, I wrote that down as well, I realize I'm not as bold. And for me, what I think it could also mean is that, like, you come out here with a certain set of priorities. I want to be the best, the biggest, the most known, and all the tabloids. And that requires a boldness and a brashness and a kicking down doors and, like, a hustle and a drive. And then at some point, you start to realize what's important to you. And, like, that level of, like, stormtrooping is not always necessary for the things that you actually want. Mm. Like, if what you want is a nice, she says... It, when she's on lo- she's on location part, part of the time. And then in New Orleans, she has a real home to return to. Like having a home to return to doesn't require the same boldness that, you know, fighting with men who jump, try to jump you in their office takes. And so mm-hmm. that to me, I took it as like, she's not as bold as she was, but, but I think it's also because she's tailoring her energy mm-hmm. toward a shift in priorities that doesn't require her to be as tough and hard and brazen. I like that. She was when she came out here. I like that. You know what I sh- what I should really include is less bold, happier. Yeah. She's happier now. She's the happiest she's ever been in her life. Like she's at happiness now, uh, regardless of how she's getting there. And I buy it. I mean, even with her and her plantation pictures, <laughs> and she <laughs> she looked happy as hell. And she's like in a swamp barefoot with Mac. Every type says, of lace and netting on her head. <laughs> yeah, she loves a good costume. There's something, I forget what it is, but I want to use the quote because I don't use the word. Oh, she said, when we're both home, we hit the road as white trash on wheels. 
and they take bed and breakfast road trips with discarded candy and junk food wrappers littering the car floor. And they like to stay at old plantation inns and spend their evenings watching river boats coil around the bend of the Mississippi. That sounds like she's having a blast. Like that feels like a <laughs> that feels like a very particular field road trip that is tailored to her likes. And I, you know, I yeah. buy it. And very specific to them and their happiness. Yeah. And they're still married, which which who cares my take on their relationship to have a relationship that long in Hollywood yeah. or out of Hollywood. A triumph. Yeah. A triumph. Okay. We're gonna read the last paragraph. All right. I have time to meander down the sweet little roads of backcountry America, seen places and people I never would have seen if I hadn't gotten off the freeway. I can give my full attention to developing my craft, all the things I put on hold more than 20 years ago. I've got a lot of living to do yet, this time from the inside out. I'll keep you informed. Which, great last little sentence. Mm-hmm. So angry. She did not keep us informed. Delta never circled back. She was like, bye, motherfuckers. Yeah, she said, stay tuned, and then walked off the stage. (laughs) But Which is so nice, because you know what? Maybe it's still coming for us. Maybe she's still about to walk back on. Or she was like, I'm done with you guys, and like, you don't need to know what I'm doing, because I don't need to show it to you or prove to you. Like, I don't need you to know that I'm good, because I know I'm good. Akila, love this reframe. That's what I'm taking <laughs> with me. Um, okay, so we end every podcast with a thank you to the author. Um, so Delta, thank you from the bottom of my heart, which which sounds corny, but I found this book like at a yard sale when I was a teenager and I needed it so badly. I mentioned it a little, but I really, really struggled with, I, I gained weight and then it it spiraled into this really intense dark place I lived in for a long time. And the passion with which I thought about myself and and dieting and stuff was just so intense and unbearable. And I had so much hate for myself. And the way I finally got out of this physical war with my body was not through like a diet or my stupid membership at <laughs> curves or anything like that. Um, it was it was through two things. One was finding comedy and and finding like my purpose. And the other was through people's stories and this book and and the right stories. Because it's hard to find a story about weight that is both honest and like really shares the sadness and the anger and the humiliation that can wrongly come with it, but also someone who has come out the other side into acceptance and happiness. And the message isn't like, here's what I ate and, and how I exercised, but here's how I felt. And here's how I dealt with my heart. And um, I, I, it just I just needed it. So thank you, Delta. I uh, pulled out my favorite quote for my thank you. And so the quote is, you're only going to get older and you're only going to regret that you didn't live your life fully just because you felt like a dumpling. And I feel like that's mm. her been like, she hit that note several times throughout this book. And so I'm going to try to seal that. I love that. Oh, gosh. And Delta, thank you for your feather boas and your giant hair. The biggest hair. You know, I, Akilah mentioned my hair. I have very big hair. Love big hair. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I love how much she was like, here's how you hairspray. Here's how you rat it. Here's how you know. <laughs> um, Akilah, where can people find you? You know, inside my house, <laughs> safely quarantined and tucked away. No, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Akilah Green. And you guys, I am going to post photos from our photo shoot on my Instagram story at Chelsea DeWantes, where I'm going to put a whole set of visuals that go with the Delta Burke episode, which includes so many pictures of dogs. Um, hey, Delta, thank you for normalizing dogs in, in bunk beds. That's my life now. <laughs> and, um, and we will see you guys next week. 
that's all for this week's episode. Go to my Instagram at Chelsea Devantes for a visual story that goes with the entire podcast, including pictures of things we talked about. And I will put it up the day the podcast drops and then I will move it to my highlights. So it's always there whenever you happen upon the podcast. I am so happy Akila came on the podcast. She is someone I talk to all day, every day, and I just I, I just always love her insights. And as soon as this podcast ended, I thought of the word photography, T-H, so photography, and I would like to formally announce my second career as a photographer. So if you need any thoughty photos, I am available. Now, I'm not actually available because we are in a pandemic and I have another job. However, in my heart and spiritually, I will happily be your photographer and I'm always here for thoughty photos from other cool women. Um, You guys, I could not do this podcast without our amazing production team here at Stitcher. Producer Brandon Nix, executive producer Daisy Rosario, and associate producer Corinne Wallace. You can listen to ad-free episodes of Celebrity Book Club only on Stitcher Premium. And if you would like a free month, go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code BOOKS. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Unless you don't have a good um, review or rating. And then just like DM it to me so that I can you know, take your feedback unless you're a crazy person and then you'll get blocked. So finally, you guys, if you want more Celebrity Book Club, go to my Instagram or go to the Facebook group, Celebrity Book Club Podcast. That's where you can start your own threads and share your own ideas um, and maybe guesses about some of the people Delta talked about and everything that didn't make it into the episode. And I hope you guys have a great week. I'm drinking white wine, not because I want to, but because I literally ran out of everything else.